Hey world, it's your host Marshall. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Run On Thoughts. Here we talk about everything and nothing because we are not afraid to be all of ourselves even as we evolve. And that's my thought for my fellow thought thinkers as we unpack our traumas, past hurts, and other BS. Y'all ready? Let's go. Let's go. Hey, Thought Thinkers, I think we're establishing a rhythm now where we begin in a place of gratitude. First, thanking those who are joining us for the first time, and then thanking those who have been with me on this entire journey. I am grateful, thankful, and anything you can think of that says that you appreciate me and that I am doing the right thing. Today, I want to take us back. So in season six, Episode 15, 15. I don't even know how to stop the episodes, but I am excited that we are at season six, episode 15. And I want to say today, this is going to be about my journey. Hip hop saved my life. Remember, you guys can always listen on any platforms, including SoundCloud, where you can uh, like, where you can make comments, where you can ask me questions, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and you can always go to runonthoughts.com to listen directly from there, and feel free to join us on Facebook and Instagram. So now, let's get started. Hip Hop Saves My Life. Remember last week when we were talking about get out of the car, smell the roses? I wanted you guys to stop trying to fix anything, stop moving forward, and I wanted us to go back and just to be with the universe, be with our thoughts. So I decided to take my own advice. What a concept, right? So I decided to take my own advice. I decided to get out of the car. I decided to smell the roses, of which you guys know that I don't like roses. And I decided to stop and give my own self grace. And on this grace trip, I almost had not a breakdown, but a good cry. And I realized that that is what's necessary. Sometimes when you feel stuck and you're trying to get to the next level, you really have to stop and do a little brief overview so that you can take the life test so that you can pass it, apply the new lessons to the next class, if that makes any sense. So when I decided to smell the roses, get out of the car, look at the ocean, look at the sky, and do a dive back into my life and acknowledge how far I have come, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I realized that there were a few times where God stepped in and saved my life. I make no apologies and I am as transparent as I possibly could be without hurting other people. But you guys already know that when I was eight years old, I lost my mom to a drug overdose. And even at eight, I understood exactly what happened, what was happening, and that my mother wasn't coming back. I also think I've shared with you guys that I didn't think she was happy here. 
I do remember how I found out about my mother's passing. The only part about my mother's story that really traumatizes me is the how I found out. Someone, I try not to share that someone because they were also a child, yelled it out of the window, your mother is dead. I kept roller skating because I really didn't believe them at all. Even as a small child, I was fairly isolated because I have always felt different. I have always known that I was different. But shortly after that, we were called into the house and we were called into the kitchen. And I'm not sure which one of my aunts let my sister and I know that our mother died. All I know is that I didn't cry. I went next door to the neighbor's house because we didn't have her phone and I called my Aunt Dot. My Aunt Dot had always been an integral part of my life. She had always come in to save the day, whether it be for Easter, with Easter dresses or Christmas. She is my father's older sister and also the woman that my father considered his mother for a very long time. So with that, I called my aunt. I told her that my mom had died and she said, do you want me to come and get you? I said yes. A part of the story that I usually leave out is the fact that a year before this, my sister and I lived with my aunt already. My father, my sister and I, we lived in the basement of my aunt's home and my mother came for us. And there was this tug of war that they were pulling on us. My mom is pulling us in one arm. My aunt and my cousin are pulling us in another arm. And my mother finally won. And I wanted to go back to my aunt's house and my sister wanted to go with my mother. But my mother, she's your mother. And I think she was supposed to be getting clean, but that didn't happen. And so when my mother passed, I called my aunt my aunt came to get us. She asked me if I wanted to bring anything. I said no, but my sister did. We packed up a few things and life moved on. That's the problem, right? I think that that's where my trauma became buried because no one ever talked about my mother's passing ever again. No one ever asked us if we needed therapy no one never asked us how we were feeling. No one ever hugged us about it, anything. We moved in with my aunt. She sent her son to live in the attic. It was a nice bedroom up there. And so not like he just living in some dusty old attic. She painted our room like a light blue. We got furniture from Siemens. We got dressers, we got a TV, and it was a very feminine, very pretty room. And I realized early on that some of who we are is not dependent on uh, nurture or nature. I believe that some of who we are, we come to this earth as that because I automatically have always felt most safe when I felt like I had the things that I needed. Like now that I had a nice bed and now that I had constant food in the refrigerator. Not that there wasn't food at my grandmother's house as an adult now, because I have food trauma because my grandmother locked the refrigerator. But when you are a child, you see this as trauma. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that my grandmother locked the refrigerator so that she could feed 
the multitude of grandchildren that she had. So, and my sister, she has always not give a damn about things and she required love. So now we're in my aunt's house where I will say that there wasn't much love because that's not my aunt's love language. My aunt's love language is just to get down to the business of life, food, shelter, la 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 la, right? And that was fine for me. It was not fine for my sister. So, and my sister is actually the smart one. People think I am smart, but I'm just smart enough to open the book and study. But she was naturally, naturally smart. But then something changed in her. I, to this day, believe that it was the trauma of losing our mom. She wanted our father. She wanted to go back to my grandmother's house. And I believe in my core, I began to resent her for that, right? Because we all we got. And she didn't want to be where I wanted to be. And back then, I was very selfish. I was selfish for a lot of years. And I'm still kind of selfish because I put me first and other people's feelings on the back burner. But my sister eventually moved back to my grandmother's house where she had a whole other life that I'm hoping one day I can have her on the podcast and we can share how we both were raised and how we, and, and, and each of our perceptions. Cause you know, we can see the past and it can be very different. One time I had a picture and I thought the picture was of my sister and I at my mom's, at my grandmother's family reunion and my sister, who I hadn't seen in over a decade, told me it was my mom's funeral. And I know that that is trauma because when I looked at the picture, as soon as she said that to me, I realized that it was my mother's funeral. I didn't need validation. I knew. So I realized that my internal self must have made that story up for survival. So now that I'm here at my aunt's house being an obedient child because I was extremely obedient, right? I needed something. And I also think I've shared with you guys that I had a very bad stuttering problem. I had a stuttering problem. I was slow in school. I needed speech therapy. I had a lot, a lot of issues. And my aunt did take care of those issues. I went to speech therapy and in speech therapy, that is where I first fell in love with words. Okay, I first fell in love with words and because I cannot stop stuttering and I still stutter to this time. The reason why I say write so much is not because I want to say the word. I'm saying write so that I can give myself time and space to come up with a new word, a new idea, a new concept so that I'm not see right. That is when I say right because I cannot get the word out, but I my brain recognizes it quickly and it just says right. Or when you hear me see, I'm doing it now because now that I've done it, I have to readjust. So I'm going to stop, breathe, and readjust to what works for me. So I also learned, that's where I fell in love with words because I got a thesaurus and I learned how to look for synonyms and I learned how to quickly adapt 
And that skill, I first went on the school circuit. I was in storytelling contests. The first story that I ever told was the three Billy Goats Gruff. And then I remember, here it goes. And I became really good at writing. I became really good at spelling. I became really good at speaking because now I'm proud. I was embarrassed before because I didn't know words. I couldn't read that well. And my aunt, going to school and doing your work, that was a priority. And that priority is one of the things that I love about her, right? Because now as a woman, I recognize that as love because my strengths came out during that time. So I started writing stories. Remember when the, remember when you used to have 10 spelling words and used to have to write a story? I used to enjoy that. One time I wrote a story called Cabbage Patch Kids Take Manhattan, using all of the spelling words. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, I was really, really good at it. So now think of it as my mom died when I was eight. I was getting ready to turn nine. My sister's going back and forth between my aunt's house and my grandmother's house, but eventually my grandmother's house went out and then it's just me there mad and angry. So what happens? Now that I have these skills, now that I have these words, I was born with rap as a part of my ecosystem, right? And I loved rap. I remember Rapper's Delight, 1979. I'm just four years old. I think we were still living in Queensbridge housing projects about that time. And I remember the core of me, like rap being a part of my ecosystem. And by the time I was 11 years old, here's where the juice comes, right? Summer of 87, paid in full. Eric B. and Rock Kim, I ain't no joke, changed my life. No one in my family even knew that I was boiling up inside for a way to communicate how I was feeling, a way to communicate all of the trauma that I was feeling because let me tell you parents something. Your obedient child is the child who is suffering the most because you do not know them at all. They are simply moving through life, doing as they are told. And that means that you do not know them, right? They simply, it is trauma-based. It is not wanting to disappoint. It is not wanting to make anybody mad at them. It is not wanting to make waves. I simply didn't want to have to give up the things that I had. So I was simply obedient. I was a grown woman and my aunt fixed me a plate and the plate had collard greens on the plate. And I said, I don't like collard greens. And she said, yes, you do. And I said, I don't. I just never had a say-so in what I liked or didn't like. And that's when I realized that so many members of my family didn't even know me because I was forced in the box. And as a child, you just do as you told and you're obedient. That's why I had so much respect for my sister who refused to fit in the box that life had gave her and she was going to live. Not that it was all right, right? It wasn't all right. 
but at least we knew who she was. Nobody knew who I was. And inside, I was boiling out. I was boiling. I didn't know why. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that this was connected or associated with the losing of my mother. But I ain't no joke. All of a sudden, my thesaurus, my new love for words, my new love for speaking, my dramatic expressions, because I'm a lot, right? I'm very theatrical. At this time, I was already in dance school and I was dancing and African dance used to be one of my favorites. And I realized now that it's because I could be free. I could jump and fly and I could communicate how I was feeling. But when I heard Eric B. and Rakim's paid in full in the summer, actually it was July, in the summer of 87, I am 11 years old. At that moment, I decided that I was a rapper and that I could do that. There were other songs that came out before that. But for me, this was the first time that someone had attached intellectual prowess to the skill set everybody else was people were smart right because it's, it's a skill set to be able to write poetry in this manner about your life experiences about the conditions in which you come from but eric b felt spiritual right i felt like god had sent him to me to save me so that i could get my feelings out I don't remember what my first rap song was or my second rap song, but my third rap song was called Bang the Drug Effect. Ain't that some shit? I wrote a rhyme about my mother, about drugs, about how drugs were dropped into black communities and destroyed so many families. And then by the time it destroyed so many families, decided to just up and fucking leave. Get the fuck out of here but I began writing raps. And then there was this cool boy in the neighborhood who would come to my house. I don't wanna share any names because I realized that myself and this person, I exalted them, right? Because at the time I gave them credit for being part of the saving my life and allowing me to enter into the cool world so that I could be a rapper. But the truth is that I stand all by myself. I stand all alone. And at the time, I was really good at that shit. And that's just what it is. And if you go back to season one, you can hear me. I'm not going to do it now. But I was really good. So I started writing. And I at first, I wasn't good. And that's the thing about loving something. And that's the thing about knowing that something is actually meant for you. Because even when something is meant for you, you don't have to be good. But are you willing to do the work to be good? And I was willing to do the actual work so that I could be good. And that is exactly what I did. I did the work. I started studying. I even started listening to Rakim more because if people really want to know who I mimic my style after, it was Rakim, right? My voice is really high pitched and I would just be like, when he would go, it's been a long time. And then I would go, mass hysteria causing confusion. It was him that I was emulating and this new sense of freedom came over me. I felt like I could be heard. 
I didn't really care about being seen, but I could be heard. I could get the inner thoughts out of me because like I said, I never fit in. I never felt like I belonged anywhere. I didn't fit in with the black kids. I didn't fit in with white kids, rich kids, poor kids. It didn't matter what smart kids, dumb kids. I always been marching to the beat of my own drum. And I actually have always been all right with that. And even with rap, right, before Rakim, I didn't think that I belonged. And there was my people. That is how I saw him. I saw him as part of my village. I saw him as this existential thing that I could aspire to be. And so from the age of 11 till about, I'm going to say maybe 18, 19 I had an agenda and I wanted, I used to want to be the first rapper and then Finesse and Sequest came out in 1988, but they were a duo. And then I'm not sure who was the first female rapper. And then I remember Little Kim busting on the scene and I wanted, and I wanted that job because y'all don't know this, but I used to, my mouth used to be filthy, which is why I'm not, I don't get upset at young people when they're cursing and doing all of these things because I realized that it's just the rites of passage, right? Which is why, although I am not religious and they say teach a child the way you want them to go, they will, they will go a new path, right? But you got to give them a foundation of which to come back to. And that's what happened with me, right? Like I still, I used to rhyme with a smut mouth. But you grow up and you grow out of it. And the reason why I never became a rapper is because I tried many things. But part of the reason why I didn't become a rapper is because I actually didn't feel beautiful enough. And I didn't feel light skin enough. Now, mind you, I felt safe in my own skin. I never had a problem with my skin being black. But I also, but I recognized that society had a problem with my skin being black. I didn't become this self-assured until maybe 2009, 2010 when I graduated from college. And I finally had a moment where I could begin the process of falling in love with myself all over again. So mind you, here we are with, I've always been this Marshall. I have never let anyone step in my space, in my circle and change who I am. But I do recognize that I was dimming my light, trying to not be seen. And the reason why the rap stopped is because at 16, 16, I got pregnant. And I don't know if I've ever shared this part, but that was the first time that I cried about not having my mother on earth because it was the first time that I recognized that I was going into territory that I knew absolutely nothing about. And if you know me, I am very rigid because at the same time, my best friend was pregnant and I was so mad at her. And I realized that part of my love language is controlling, right? And it comes from a place of fear. When I love you, I want the best for you. The problem with the best for you is that the best that I decided that you can have. And I just didn't, I just felt like we work so hard and I know that this world is hard. I know that my mother's life was hard. It's hard to be poor, poor poverty. Being poor is hard work. And I know that when you are poor, obstacles get thrown on your back over and over and over and over again. And when you add baggage, it's even harder to climb out. 
So I'm judging my best friend and guess who shows up pregnant by the next week? Me! And I'm sharing this story because she shared it with my son. There are many times in my life where I have judged those that I love, but the truth is that my judgment is from a place of fear. I don't want people to ruin their lives. And I think it's also because of my obedience as a child. I thought by just doing the things that I was supposed to do, that life would work out in this straight and narrow box. And that's just not how life works, right? That's just not how this life works. There are always going to be highs and lows. There are always going to be triumphs and failures. And there are also always going to be things that we don't even know what the fuck they are. Right? You can think something is happening for your bad and it runs out turning out for your good. You can think something is for your good and it runs up turning out horrible because how we are judging the world is through human eyes. And I learned from judging my friend that I was judging her through human eyes. And I was able to grow up when I realized that if I just look up to the universal energy, God, remember whatever y'all call it, that God has a different plan and I can't see that far. I don't know. Just because one plus one is two, right? Doesn't mean that Four divided by two is not two. There are many paths to greatness. And I learned that. And that's what I learned through hip hop. I love all of hip hop. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Because all of it is living in a truth that exists in people. Even now when people judge the youth of today and they judge their hip hop, all I see is mental, mental anguish. I see that our children are crying out in ways that they need help. And every time I see adults judge children, I'm like, uh, children do not raise themselves. So whenever you are judging children, remember that you are responsible to those children and that it is your motherfucking fault. Does that make sense? But here I am, the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And I remember where I was, what I was doing when I first fell in love with hip hop. When that question came up in the movie Brown Sugar, whew, it felt nostalgic because I recognized that hip hop was the blueprint, was the storyline, was the, we were part of an ecosystem. It was a part of me and I was a part of it. And it is through hip hop where I have gained the most confidence. It gave me a voice. It allowed me to do what I'm doing now. It allowed me to not need to fit in because I had a voice, right? It is not easy being your authentic self. But because I have always written how I feel, I could get my feelings out and then I could return to being Marshall. And that is what I did. I was able to return to being Marshall. I always return to being Marshall. And Marshall is really my superpower. Just like you being you is your superpower. So when you went on that journey last week and you stopped the car and you smelled the roses, 
What did you discover about yourself? I discovered that hip hop saved my life. Who are you guys? What makes you tick? What makes you you? What makes you feel alive and a part of something? Because everything that's going on in the world, this need to fit into every single last box is what is driving us all crazy. So my wish and my hope for you guys is that you find out who you are. Who are your people? You don't need to fit into every last motherfucking box. You don't need to be liked by everybody. It's not even possible. What inspires you? Who inspires you? Today, I want to dedicate this to one of the greatest rappers of all time, Rakim, your intellect, your philosophy, your desire to be all of yourself, even in an environment that said that you shouldn't and couldn't. You the baddest motherfucker on earth. Tired of talking to you guys. Bye.